besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. Welcome to Crunch Time. Delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X. Built tough. Hooker's down there. Three cats jump against him. Stringer's got the crumb. Runs outside of the boot and he's nailed it. Play on. Coming through Merritt. It's all charging forward Essendon's way. He curls it back for Ham. Off the pack. McDonald. Tip and Woody kicks another. Now he goes around and kicks a goal. Well, if ever a team needed a goal close to the siren, it was there and then. And Jeremy Cameron, a good country boy, kicks a terrific goal. As Dangerfield leans back and puts it through. Six on end for the Cats. Flick the handball to Rowan. If he gathers it, he could sprint away. He was running towards the boundary, but it didn't matter. Gary Rowan loves a big goal at K-Park. Got it through to right and then couldn't quite connect with Parrish, who went a second time, picked it up. He's done everything tonight. Oh, what a goal from Darcy Parrish. He kicked it to Hawkins instead, who's going to walk in his sixth goal. He knew what he was doing, Gary Rowan. The siren sounds. The Cats got a massive shock. They've copped a massive injury to one of their stars. But in between all of that, they turned it on in the country game. In those conditions, a a four or five goal lead looked difficult to to peg back. So the ability for our players to galvanise, recognise the things that we needed to to change and then really deliver in that second quarter, that was the most pleasing bit. It's a hard game. And when the opposition looked like they're having a really good day, I think sort of the weaker players roll over and the strong ones fight back. And, And I thought there was good fight tonight. Hard-nosed and professional as always, but for the iffy hamstring of Jeremy Cameron, there was a familiar September feel about the Cats last night. Tom Stewart to join us. Confidence is a very, very funny thing within AFL. You can quickly gain it, you can quickly lose it. You know, boys are just lacking confidence at the moment, which is surprising, you know, when they play their very best for a great footy side. Unfortunately, at the moment, just our players are just just struggling, you know, when you when you lack confidence, you're one step behind instead of taking, you know, like instead of being proactive, you're reactive. So we're just got to build them up and, and get them better. You know, once again, we're not playing our, our very best footy. Um, I still got a firm belief we're not too far off it, but uh, we certainly have a lot of work to do. It's gone from bad to a little bit worse for Richmond with another ankle injury grounding, another vital tiger, the rush to write them off for 2021, gathered momentum after Thursday night. An in-depth look at the Tigers' plight coming up. Those guys are legends of the game. No way should I have my name mentioned with those guys ever. <laughs> That's a bit embarrassing. It's going to take some time and I mean the surgery was successful and but sometimes you just run into some complications here and there. And, but we're, we're hoping it'll be fine. And I hear the rebuild but I don't think that's reality once you get the job. I, I think it seems it was almost a political decision. Buckley goes. I'm not sure that that's settled. I have uh, no problem with the game going ahead, but we do need certain protocols in place because the, um, my understanding is they're playing the Brisbane Bullets and because they have come from Queensland, they will need protocols around testing prior to playing the match. Uh, she's one of the greats, the South Australian Chief Medical Officer. She's having a terrific 2021. COVID implications, the hunt for Collingwood's coach, 
the Syndesmosis Curse and Sean Burgoyne are all on the agenda. And what to make of West Coast's form line at Kininia Park, Eagles coach Adam Simpson will join us ahead of a massive game against the Swans tomorrow. This is the Round 16 edition of Crunch Time. G'day everybody, great to have you with us this Saturday morning. And a shout out to Nicholas Spuria. It's not the Brisbane Bullets, they play in another league in another game. But anyway, we'll cut us some slack. Great to be here, filling the seat for Jared Waitley, Andy Murray, alongside Justin Lepich and the rest. I'll get to those in a moment. Hello, Lepa. Good morning. We need to bring her in for crunch time. There'd be some entertaining <laughs> stuff for our listeners. We have all sorts of sports covered. She's in. She's having a cracking 2021. Nick Del Sando, how Hello, are you? boys. Lovely to be here. I think she's laughing at us. I think this is the second time because it was also her a few weeks ago that said, I think that the ball goes over the fence a little bit in this game. And if it <laughs> yes. does, please dodge it. So I think she's actually taking the, so you're the she's Mickey out of it. She's laughing at us for laughing at her. Right. To okay. reverse double jeopardy sort of action here, I reckon. Well, if she's doing that, she's doing well, it beautifully. Very entertaining, if nothing else, Andy. Hello. Craig Jennings, how are you, mate? Very good. Good to be here. I don't follow politics, and that's probably the reason why. But <laughs> I'm pretty excited. I didn't realise about Tom Stewart that he was coming on till a moment ago, and I think he's in the discussion for the one of the great players to get to 100 games. His first 100 games have been phenomenal. It's to to come into the system a little bit later. I think of Peter Matera and Wanganina's. Uh, you know, winning medals pretty early on. But two All-Australians straight into 100 games really quickly. Phenomenal player. Well, he's just taken over from the previous number, 44. Mm. It's just like it's just morphed straight into the next person. They play the exact same role. They execute it so beautifully. I look forward to talking to him. I've got a couple of questions about his particular matchups over the last couple of weeks, Andy. What was the jump out for you out of that game? If there was one takeaway leper from that game last night, and we'll have a more broad conversation, you know, after we speak to Tom and with Tom, obviously, about it when he joins us in a couple of minutes. But... Was there one key takeaway from that game for you last night? Well, there's probably one. There's always one for both clubs, isn't yep. there? I mean, a positive from a Geelong perspective that they got jumped and they're able to, to, to rein it back. Positive from an Essendon perspective. The, I guess for Essendon, it's a matter of, you know, when Tipper started really well and Stringer starts really well, they're, they're vibrant game winners starting the game. You think this is really good. And when they were challenged, then they start to get scored against a little bit. And the other part from an Essendon perspective, when the conditions, you know, obviously the conditions were quite wet, they just kept slipping over all the time. Yeah. And in crucial key moments in the game, just lose their feet. And it's something we probably underestimate a little bit on the game because we don't know what would have happened if you didn't fall over, if you didn't slip over. But it just happened far too often throughout the game. And they lost a few opportunities because of it, I think. Just tell me again, Dell, what sort of options do players have these days with their mm. footwear? Um, well, well, the first thing that I will say off the back of that, Andy, is I was never told what footwear to wear. Right. I was told that a little bit like Lepper said and had some coaches with a little bit more forceful than others, but they would say, do not slip over. You wear whatever you okay, need to right, wear, but yeah, the yeah. end result is you do not slip over. So the days of the screws that we used to probably yeah. know, even in the 70s and 80s, it's it's morphed into when I was wearing, there was more options in regards to the length and the, I guess, the placing of the screws. Now they're just longer moulds. So even when I was finishing up a few years ago, they were still the same length as what we would describe as the screw-ins, yet they were moulds and therefore a lot more comfortable for yeah. your feet. Yeah. And I can't even recall a player in the last three years that – and I love boots. I'm a bit of a foot Nazi – that I can look at someone and say, <laughs> oh, they're screw-ins. They're just longer versions of moulds yeah, because yeah, yeah. of the comfort reason. Well, let's get to Tom Stewart. He's been good enough to join us after a really professional performance by the Cats last night. We might pick this conversation up with him. Tom, thanks for joining us on Crunch Time, mate. Thanks for having me, boys. What? T- t- how slippery was it out there last night? We just want to have a conversation about 
Essendon players seeming to lose their footing a lot last night. Was it a particularly slippy, slippery Kidinia Park surface last night? Uh, well, I think what, the longer the game went on, I think it got a little bit better. I just think, obviously, the amount of moisture there was on top of the deck and then uh, add that to a soft ground, I think it just added up a little bit. Um, I didn't find it too bad, but um, I'm sure some boys did have some issues with it. So what sort of range of options do you have? Do you do, How many pairs of boots, on, on, given a wet, you know, the, the, the prospect of it being a wet night, how many yep. pairs of boots do you take along to a game? Uh, I usually just take the two. Um, I, last night I wore a newer, newer pair of boots just so I made sure the moulds were a bit longer. Um, the the moulds can wear down a little bit if you have a pair of boots too long, so I just made sure I had a newer pair that, um, yeah, obviously the, the moulds are a bit longer, a bit fresher, and you get a bit more stick with them. Yep. Tom, Craig Jennings here. We are just talking about your first 100 games of AFL footy. Congratulations. It's just been a, a phenomenal start to your career. Um, you. I was really interested in the story around Matthew Scarlett getting you to, to your football club or to the football club. Uh, what's the best bit of advice he's given you along the journey? Um, oh, I think it was multiple little bits of advice, whether it was just tinkering with starting positions and just, different moments in games, um, how to approach being, a, I suppose, a bit of a more of an undersized third tall and how I can still impact in the air and on the ground and just using my strengths and, and backing myself in. But it was multiple small things along the journey. There wasn't one real pivotal thing that he um, told me that stuck true. It was more just small bits of advice and, and ways that I could still impact the game, whether it be on, on the, in the air or on the deck. And um, I think it's just a, a multitude of things that have sort of culminated to, to the end result. So off-field, one of the great things at footy clubs is the nicknames we all get given. And I'm reliably informed that you've got three nicknames, the general, the scoreboard, and Griff. Can you go into detail yeah. on any of those? Um, well, the general is not true. That's been made up from a long time ago. That So as it goes, when I was playing VFL footy, Scott Selwood was playing in the VFL at the time. And he thought he'd have a bit of a laugh and try and make up a story that after one game I was running around telling everyone that I'm the general of the back one and it actually just stuck. As most great footy nicknames do, there's no real truth behind them. Uh, uh, scoreboard, yeah. there was a bloke at South Bar and he had the last, same last name as me. Um, his name was Johnny Stewart and he worked on the scoreboard, so I copped scoreboard for a while. And then Griff, um, Stewie Griffin, our family guy, Zach Dewey came up with that thing it's hilarious and it's no good. So obviously <laughs> when you don't enjoy a nickname... They always seem to stick, and I've always got three pretty ordinary ones. Uh, Tom, Justin, Lippis, just just talking about your role. Um, obviously, in the last month, you're very high position uh, halfback. As you said, we look at you and think, is, is he a key position player? Are you more the halfback flanker type? We're sort of saying more Corey Enright. You're saying mm. off air as well, weren't you, Dale? That that sort of role, what sort of player you are. But just looking at your matchup, so we had the Charlie Cameron one last week. Are you are you more suited to the the taller type more than the the speedy type? Do you, do you think that Charlie, if you had to play Brisbane this week, would that be the matchup you take again, or you think you go to more a taller type where you can use your strengths of intercept marking and so forth? Yeah, not really sure. Um, I think Scalo sort of comes to me each week and um, gives me a, a certain role to play, whether that's tall or small or or that loose role. I'm just trying to adapt and and add more strengths to my bow. Um, obviously, the game evolves and adapts a lot. Uh, year on year, so the more uh, range of players I can play on or roles I can play sort of help the team. Um, obviously, last week, 
we as a team and myself individually didn't have our greatest game. We were all quite poor and um, we got sort of shown up in that area. But I think we came along last night and, and played a lot better after that first quarter um, and just played the game in a contest, which is what we need to do. Tom, which one would you prefer? I mean, and the, the obvious answer would be, I'll do whatever the club needs to, me to do on that particular day. But if this is a final and your particular role, do you feel that you've got more impact on the game and support the team better when you are that roll-off intercept defender opposed to a lockdown like you have been the last couple of weeks? Um, oh, I mean, as you said, I will do whatever the team needs me to do. But I feel as though my greatest strength is understanding when my direct oppo isn't quite dangerous and then being able to peel off and help. Um, so whether that is playing on a on a smaller type who plays a bit higher so I can peel off and, and help out with the big boys or, or playing deep, um, I'm comfortable with doing both. And um, Yeah, I mean, like like you said, whatever the team needs me to do, I'll do, but I'll back myself in the air to, to come off and help no matter who I'm playing on. How much continuity do you feel like? You've got seven games remaining in the regular season before you launch into finals. Do you feel like you need as a defensive group to have the same system and the same people around you. And I look at the Rucks again, changed last night with Stanley and Blixar's Radicalia was out last night. We've had a combination of all of them throughout the year. And I guess the way that it filters through to you is whether Mark Blixar's is beside you or not. How much continuity do you need to have going into finals to know what the best lineup is for you? Um, oh, I mean, obviously every team would love to have the same 22 every week and have the same game plan roll out and all that sort of thing. But I feel as though our greatest strength is we can adapt and, and be able to shift throughout games. I mean, I thought Blitz, when he had to go up around the ball when Reese was a bit sore in that third, was, was fantastic again. And um, I've got massive, massive trust and belief in the blokes around me that we can get the job done um, no matter who we come up against. Um, yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of blokes roll through that back seven or eight, so... Um, I'd like to think that no, no matter what forward line we come up against, we can be quite stingy and, and not allow points against and then obviously get off and help and, and rebound the ball back the other way. So that's my thoughts on that. Tom, for a long period of time now, I think Geelong's probably the best football club at changing the look of the game when things aren't going well. And clearly three to four goals behind early in the game last night, the whole game looked completely different after quarter time. Can you take us into that huddle, the mindset of the players, the belief, maybe some of the, the messaging or, or the change in structure that allowed you to get um, or to have such a dominant second quarter? Yeah, well, to be fair, we were really disappointed in our first quarter. Um, and Scotty isn't very... Uh, he's, he's quite good at keeping his emotions intact, but he let us know at quarter time that we went up to it. We, um, we were poor in the contest. We allowed Essendon to, to keep the ball live and, and get ahead of us in attack, which isn't the way we need to play the game. So we had to adjust our depth and defence and, and allow our off-ball players to get in behind us and then um, control the ball in the back half and then just give Hawk and Jez a look at some one-on-ones ahead of the ball. Um, and obviously disappointing with Jez going down, but he was electric in that second quarter and he really got us going. And obviously Hawk as well um, hit the scoreboard and it impacted really well. So we just need to give those boys a chance one-on-one and um, building the ball from the back half, being a bit more composed, and then once we can get that ball in there to one-on-ones, it's, it's as dangerous a forward line as there is in the comp, so we just need to understand how to do that and, and when to go at the right times. Well, Tom, you've said something I've never heard before. Chris Scott keeps his emotions in check. <laughs> 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 I've known that man for a long time. If you've ever watched any of his old... Oh, you're an old Brisbane supporter, aren't you, from way back? I, I, am, I, am, I am, Yes, yes, yes. He's a... You didn't get his autograph when you first met him or anything like that, did you? It's, uh, but, yeah, he's, he's actually quite a fiery guy, as you see. But he's obviously behind the scenes. He's got such that strategic brain. 
Um, the other thing we see with Chris as well over the last 12 months is that his look is changing more and more. Is there mm -hmm. much advice that the boys give him on his just his grooming and the, and the, the tan and his <laughs> yeah. colour? Everything's sort of changing with Chris recently. Oh, I think just getting back up to Brisbane uh, in Queensland last year, I think he really embraced the, the weather and, and the shirt off walking around the Oval. and <laughs> He's embraced the long hair and the beard as well, which I'm a big fan of. Um, I think Zach too, he came out a few weeks ago and said he's a very handsome man and he's playing to his strength, so I'll back those comments in as well. The headband's become a thing amongst you lot down there. If you, you want to be in that back sort of six or seven down there, is it almost mandatory these days that you've got to wear one? Well, I'm, I'm actually going to claim that. I've been wearing a headband since I was about 18 or 19 years old. So I think Blitz jumped on pretty early and, and likes to think he's got blonde hair. But I think if you look back in the history books, he's got short brown hair with not much going on upstairs. And uh, the boys have just grabbed onto it. They have. Um, Zach Kiwi's a big fan. Hendo's grabbed onto it. Collar's been in and out. and We're trying to get Tommy Atkins to wear one, but he's, uh, he's way too straight and narrow for that. But Jack Henry. Yeah. Yep. yeah, Jack's got one as well. So we might have seven of them come finals time if the boys grow their hair out. So we'll see Tom, how we we're go. talking everything but anything <laughs> regarding actual football or getting any relevant information out, which is perfectly fine with but me. So such a well-known so so well commodity, the Geelong On the like, headband yep. theme, and I saw this last night, why is Reece Stanley wearing a headband? His hair isn't long enough. Why has he jumped on board, Tom? I've got no idea, mate. Great answer. <laughs> I have no idea. Big fella. Um, I think he just might like the look, but, yeah, he has mm. no need for a headband. He's he needs to sort himself out. Side, I'm not sure smart. what he's doing. Hey, tell us about the, the ground, and we're always fascinated, and sometimes we go a little bit too far about the dimensions of GMHBA Stadium, but the scoring end. So once again, the Bombers get off to a really good start, four goals to start the game. 18 of the 23 goals were kicked to the right of the broadcast last night. What is it about that ground in particular that you guys play so well and know it better than anybody that, that happens to always be the goal-scoring end? Yeah, it's, it's actually a really good point. I, I've had that feeling throughout the game that it just felt as though that uh, the river end as it is, is just was just it felt a lot easier to attack into. Whether the mm. the formation changed behind or whether there, I'm not exactly sure, but it just felt as though it was a lot more free flowing going back that other way. Um, I'd, I'd love to give you a, a gem or a bit of insight, but I have no idea why it happened. It just is well, it downhill? Um, yeah, no, is, well, is it you, slightly downhill? Well, it could be. It well, could it's be. when it you putt on a, on a putting green, Tommy. What what the the, the, the putts will always break to the ocean. So perhaps Andy, no, Andy. no. So perhaps <laughs> I'll give you a chance perhaps to respect this. You're going so too far. We're all searching for theories. Perhaps the ball travels further towards the river in Geelong. Who well, knows? If, if you want to look into it, there isn't a stand at the Gary Ablett Terrace that's Correct. Uh, covered, and there is at the other end. So potentially there could be something aiding it. So you could be under something, mate. Hey, mate, keep up the good work. Uh, you're right in it again. Uh, it was great to see Paddy back in Paddy form last night. Clearly, the, we'll all monitor, everybody will monitor you more closely than us, the Jeremy Cameron hamstring. It doesn't seem like it's too significant. So uh, there's a lot of blue skies in front of you, uh, you lot down there. Good luck for the rest of the season. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, guys. All Have a good day. Tom, you too. Tom Stewart joining us. Who knows? It's probably the grandstand. That's You're going back to the, as that. the putting downhill, are you? Oh, oh, you are. Talk with <laughs> no, let's talk golf in the next <laughs> half hour. Sure. Luke Herbert's leading he's over in, in the orange. He's on nicely. Uh, there's a lot to pull apart from that game. We'll do it on the other side of the break. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealership. Stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X, built tough. And for Red Rooster, delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. 
Welcome back to Crunch Time. Geelong 15-8-98 defeat Essendon last night, 8-9-57, having conceded the first four goals. The Suns 10-17-77 on Thursday night, defeat the Tigers 10-7-67. We'll get to that a bit later on. Adam Simpson going to join us in about 15 minutes. But got a bit of time to talk a bit more in depth about last night's game. Tom Stewart's just been with us. Craig, what did you see in terms of the way the game was played last night that we should maybe bear in mind? Yeah, I'm always interested in Chris Scott's strategy, so I call them the chameleon cats because he always just subtly adjusts his game style to make sure that he can either exploit the weakness of the opposition or any weaknesses in the opposition or to deny them some strength. So last night when I was watching the game, I thought there was a clear plan for Geelong to really jam up the stoppages and keep the game in a contest for a long period of time. So what that looks like is you have your mids and wings around the footy, but instead of the wings being spread out on the ground, they come in nice and close. They brought their forwards, two to three forwards, up really high and up into the corridor so that if Essendon did win it, they had no room to move on the outside. And they, they even dictated with the halfback flankers who brought the Essendon forwards up the ground. So around the footy, they had a lot of numbers. So it just kept the game in, in a contest, which was a clear pant plan and Leper, I know we have some conversations off air about your food analogies and what I was thinking was if you think of a pizza, they were playing the game on two slices of a pizza and then not allowing Essendon to get on that outside. I think you should really stick to your own. Now we're looking at you to respond. <laughs> No, you're right. They one thing Geelong do is they play their ground obviously better than anyone, and they've got they do have succinct strategies. We often see Lockie Henderson; they've got one of those from kicking. He'll be the release target, or he'll end up in the goal square. And you go, how does he do that? And then they'll get a half back to cover while they do it. They do have three or four in-game strategies that they've they've gone to for years, and depending on what the game's done, you watch. I've watched them. I think we coached against them at Richmond four times over the four, sorry the last four years. I think they had three different strategies yeah. over that time. Um, there's a classic game here where they only use the corridor. They went away from it the second time, and then they went back to it at the start of the season here and just decimated Richmond, sort of just chipping their way through and, and running, carrying through the corridor. So he, he is a very adventurous coach, Chris. He's happy to he's happy just to say, well, we're not just going to stick with what we do. We'll actually also counter a plan c- uh, compared to the opposition. Just to highlight that stoppage work last night, so they were 48-34 in their favour, so plus 14 mm. around the stoppages. But, but I think what I'm seeing, and I know we need to take in consideration the conditions last night and the, the ground, but I thought they were more conservative over the last couple of weeks. Clearly, they got pumped by the Brisbane Lions last week, but I feel like they've changed slightly again and maybe gone back to what they have been in years gone by. A little bit wider out of the half-back line, probably less adventurous, but what that allows you to do, particularly against the really good teams, is you've got a really stable defence behind you. It gives you time yeah. to find your preferred matchups behind the football, because we've seen so many examples even this weekend already, we go back to uh, Thursday night with the Tigers and the Giants, uh, Tigers and the Suns. On turnover, when you're going fast, your defence are all out of position. Mm-hmm. Now, they may not literally be one-on-one, but you'll get a mismatch, and it just puts you out of whack. It is so hard to defend that when you are fast. So I think the, the Cats, as much as anybody in the competition, have the ability to adapt, but also identify those moments within games. Okay, it's time to go fast. Mm. We've got support behind the football. Actually, we don't have support in this passage of play. Let's go slow. Let's cons- you know, hold up the football, kick mark, get set up, and then let's launch. 
you think they're the one team that'd be happy with what they're seeing at Richmond right now? Thinking going into finals, they've, I know they beat them at the start of the season, but Richmond's had the wood on a couple of teams over the last two or three years, and Geelong has namely been one of those. The Lions have probably lost that now after a couple of victories, and then maybe that they're, they're the one team you don't want it. Do you think they're the ones enjoying the fact that maybe Richmond may not make it or may not get mm. to the second or third week of finals? It's a great point. I've worked at four clubs, and every club I've worked at has always had that bogey team or the team that you're most uncomfortable with, and so it, clearly every other team in the eight will be wrapped if Richmond don't make it, but oh, I agree totally, specifically Geelong. How much upside do you think the Cats? So we sit here with seven rounds. At the completion of this weekend's football, we've got seven rounds to go. Who has the most upside from here from what you know that they can be? And I'll throw in, I reckon the Cats are playing somewhere around their best football. Now, we can have a chat about their best mm. ruck combination, mm. a couple of injuries, which I completely understand. They're not going to fix that, though. They're, they're no. Best, they, they, they've got what they've got now. From They're just going to have to bite the bullet at some stage or just go with whoever. So the thing that we love about the Cats, or I do, is the gap between their best and the worst is minimal. Now, they had a stinker mm. last week. We accept that. But let, let's play the majority of the time. So I don't see a lot of upside, but their football right now is good. Who do you guys think that has the most potential in the last seven weeks to launch into finals? I really like Melbourne because they're winning, but when I and I love their game style, and and there's some confirmation bias there because it's a game style that I would like to coach. Um, but they're pretty scruffy in a lot of areas, so they've got those areas to move. But when you were both, everyone was talking about Geelong, I just think about that experience, and I'd love to see how they conduct their meetings and planning throughout the week. And I just think with all those 30-year-olds in the team, they're able to adjust their game style to specific opponents each week. A close game scenario, they're pretty comfortable in knowing how to, to hold a lead, and they can change the look of the game. We see it every second or third week with them. If they're behind on the scoreboard, they can adjust. So even though Geelong... Um, um, you know, look really good and you think, where does the improvement come from? I think when you've got so much experience in a team like that, that they can, they're, they're comfortable in any environment, they can adapt and adjust to whatever a team throws at them. I'm going to answer your question, Del, but I just don't want to get on just that, that point with Geelong there. Is that the thing you can only do with a 30-year-old-plus team? Like, have so many strategies and so... Like, you couldn't see the Suns doing strategically yeah. Yeah. what You're Geelong are doing right now. Yeah, I agree. So, for me, I spoke with... Uh, I was Kane Corns on the Waitley segment on Thursday and spoke about if you're at the Gold Coast Suns, I'd employ a training standards coach... And also almost like a footy IQ coach on the bench because it's about keeping things simple and what it takes, you know, teach them how to win, that the game, there's patterns to a game of footy and, and this is what the game needs in certain in certain moments. But I agree with that totally, Lepper. The, the beauty of experienced teams is it's one thing to educate them in a classroom or, or at your football club. It's another one to identify it in the heat of the moment when you've ran 12 kilometres, when you've got a corky, when you're absolutely howling with pain because you're exhausted and then to identify a tactical thing that the opposition is doing, and then you know how to react or know how to have a teammate to react to actually counter what they're trying to do. I had a t- I'll tell you this quick story. I had a teammate still playing at St. Kilda. This is many years ago. We sat in a team meeting. He was young. He was playing one of his first games, and we sat through an opposition report and then how we were going to counter it for the game coming. And I sat next to him. I just noticed his face. It was the dark room, the, white, uh, the um, big screen's on, and I just noticed his face. It was a little bit blank. And as we walked out, and I was older, and I said to him, how'd you go there? He goes, I've got no idea what we just spoke about for one hour. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this is going to go. This is going to go well this weekend. <laughs> We've got one of our players that's got no idea what the last hour was all about. But just to identify and, and clarify... Not all players can take that information in. So you're right. You need experienced players to be able to do that. We've got about a minute before we have to get to a break. Adam Simpson is going to join us on the other side. Just the Jeremy Cameron situation last night. If he going in, fitness test before the game... 
plays, starts like a German band, hammy. They're saying it was a cork. He's had some hamstring issues. Bad luck. Coincidence? What is it? Yeah, you're back in your medical team. I mean, they're the sorts of things that are outside the coach's domain. You you really hand that stuff over, whether it's the concussion calls or the medical calls, all those things come, you know, it's almost a separate part of the football department now. You just, you sort of say to them, okay, who we got available? All right. Let me be devil's advocate, though. If Chris Scott says after game in the press conference, it was iffy. It was an iffy hamstring going in. Yeah. If you've got, at this stage of the season, a bloke who's got soft tissue-ish history... And the bloke knows it's they know it's iffy. Uh, is mm. it a, is an unnecessary risk to play him? No, you just make the call if they're right because okay. you also want to get continuity of performance as well. There's lots of things you want to weigh up, and you just have to back your medical team in. Um, and and then look, and that's the thing. And sometimes they'll get it wrong too. Medical teams, like we all do, mm. and the player, the player, the player gets player, it wrong yeah. as well. So you've got an experienced player in Jeremy Cameron who knows his own body. And just to put this in perspective, this happens all the time. The amount of times you go into a game and you're thinking, is it sore or is that just me? Or did I feel something? Like this is going through your head all the time as a player. And the majority of the time they get through fine and hence we don't know anything about it, nor should we. But I would never question the medical staff to ever think, hey, let's just roll out Jeremy Cameron, one of our best forwards. Mm. Like to think that they're going to take a risk at this time of the year. Mm. Now, in hindsight, it's easy because he's clearly done it. But prior to that, his first half of football yeah, was great. Forward. You know, he, he was moving yeah. well and played. Um, you know, did everything he had to with his three goals. So it's easy in hindsight. But I would never think that any medical staff in their right mind would roll someone out that isn't anywhere near a hundred percent. Yeah, and, and the, the hamstring's a funny one too because you can play with a lot of injuries. You can jab up a finger if it's been dislocated and, and even if you get a knock on it, you'll be right. Just you mm. know, just play with it over weeks. But I've always found hamstrings, and I'm not going to use a food analogy this time. <laughs> you know, I'm going to use... A piece I'm, of steak. I'm going to use one of the things that young kids wouldn't even know what it is, is cash, money, the plastic what? thing that's in our wallet. You can't rip one of those, but you can't actually destroy one of those. But if there's a little nick in one of those plastic notes, you can just rip the whole thing in half, you know? So with the hamstring, if there is a slight nick, that is the danger that if it isn't perfect, it can it can open mm. up really quickly and easily. But by nature, if they're strong, they're like, they're like that plastic note. They're tough and really difficult to break. So mm. what about that analogy? <laughs> you know, is that okay? I've got a white branch away from food. Absolutely magnificent. Very good. It'd be a $100 note as well. Yeah, well done. not too far away. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealership stock, the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X, built tough and for Red Rooster's new crunchy fried chicken available at Salt. Back to the show. Ones. Great to have you with us. Uh, huge game of footy. Got huge games of football all over the place this coming weekend and the battle for that bottom spot in the 80s up for grabs, so we'll keep an eye on all of that. There's a fascinating game, the early game tomorrow down at Geelong. Sydney and West Coast at Geelong. It, it can only happen in the middle of a pandemic. The West Coast coach, Adam Simpson, has been good enough to join us. Mate, we appreciate your time. It must be nice to be at least heading down there and not facing Geelong for a change, with all due respect to the Swannies. Uh, what are you trying to say? <laughs> well, i just done the little numbers on uh, the recent record down there, Simo. And it, it has, against Geelong, it hasn't been good in recent years. Yeah, I don't think we're alone. Um, no. Yeah, they, they've got a pretty good record down there, but... Uh, yeah, the the honesty of the fact we played Geelong down there, we haven't lost by three or four goals. It's been pretty heavy. So, yep, um, Sydney's home game, and I'm sure when they looked at all the venues that were available, they um, they rightly picked uh, in Geelong. So that's fine. We've got to we've got to get on with it. You know, it's something that um, we're actually looking forward to.
So, so as much as it's, it's about the opposition down there, and clearly they've been very, very strong for, for a long time, how much is it getting your blokes to understand that ground and, and the nuances it, it presents? Yeah, well, you, I mean, you'd think it wouldn't be, in the past, a, a massive issue because the Subiaco was almost the same size, so it was a bit longer, but it was the same skinniness. So um, no reasons, really. Uh, I know it's been... Um, you know, maybe a bit of attitude in the, in the past and um, not switched on. I don't know, charter flights, an extra hour on the plane, all those things that um, make life, life difficult that you, you don't want to use as an excuse is um, something we've got to work through. Um, but like I said, we're not alone. It's a difficult yeah. ground to play at even if you're from Victoria. So we're, um, it's really not part of our conversation, to be honest, uh, this week in particular. We're, um, we've been here since Tuesday. We're, um, we're training at... Where's, um, Caulfield Grammar, Caulfield Grammar we're at, which has been fantastic for us. We've got a captain's run today with um, our boys and then there's a scrimmage game against Fremantle. So a bit like Hub Life last year, we've uh, adapted to the environment as best we can and we're, we're off tomorrow down, down the road. Hey, Sam Alipa here. Um, just a, a quick one. After obviously an average game last week, we know you love to possess the ball and take uncontested marks in your back half, and then you have a game where the opposition kicks sort of seven goals, 11 from their front half. When you walk away from that, was that as much as the doggies' pressure-forcing turnover or just your ability just to give the ball back? Where was the, where was the balance there? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we don't, we don't um, go in with an attitude of, oh, let's control the ball and chip it around and, you know, time and possession and uncontested marks. It's really field position for us or after and, and field position through the contest and stoppage. And then, you know, as the game progresses, you, hopefully if you're owning that territory battle, then you do get the ball back. You can use it a bit more and control the tempo of the game. So you never want to try and score from the back half. And against the really good sides, you're not going to. So, yeah, we couldn't get it out of our back half. It was sort of going straight in and they were, they were kicking points early, uh, which means you have to try and attack from your, your kick-ins, which is really difficult. And... You know, it was almost like you had to wait for a goal for us to get uh, an opportunity to get in our front half, which credit to the Bulldogs, so it's just too tough and too strong, uh, in particular in the midfield, and they outworked us as well. So when when you're not doing either of those two things, you're not going you're not going to win regardless of your, your style of play. Yeah, and the, and the pressure was elite, and it's funny because I got asked a question this week. I think with, with sitting there with Kane, and he's like, "What what statistics are important in the game?" And it's always a challenge as a coach to determine. I guess my, the answer from my, my coaching is, well, it depends what your game styling is and what's your rate. And I know there's been some questions about your the pressure rating of the Eagles, and, and, and I know you know that it's not a part of what the big picture is for the West Coast Eagles. Can you just explain to people why that part of the game, and a lot of teams aren't great at pressure, so isn't, isn't the, the factor that's uh, a part of your game style that's a, a real big KPI for you? Yeah, it's, uh, I suppose each week's different, and you want to be a good pressure side. Um, but if you if you kick more than your handball, you're not going to have the same type of game. Mm. And if you Richmond played Richmond, the the pressure factor would be high for both sides. Um, if you're playing a team that kicks more than handballs, and both teams are the same, you'll get a low pressure game. So, yep. you know that 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 stat on this champion data, there's, you know, there's a thousand stats, mm. um, and you know the the media will pick up on ten or fifteen and and make it like they're the most important stats in the world, which you know most of them are, but um, you know, the, the stats are important to us, aren't necessarily the same as that everyone else has. So we, we know what success looks like for us, and it is built around the contest, and it's built around field position. So, yeah, the, the byproduct of 
time of possession, uncontested marks. We don't ever talk about that. It's, it's more um, once we get the rest of the game going. Simo, a lot of changes last week for the Dogs game, and you've gone again this week with another five or six for tomorrow's game, and a lot of them have been omitted, and just the one uh, suspension with Liam Ryan. How much of that is through frustration of not getting what you want, opposed to finding <laughs> the best combination for the remaining seven games? Um, a bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> Good no, look, to, 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 be, to be honest, we, um, we've been actually quite proud of the fact we've, we've, we've had a lot of injuries this year to, to very good players and we've, we've managed to, to blood some young kids and give them some opportunity and, and they've stood up uh, for the large part. So we, we think when we transition our list into the future that there's some real growth underneath us. On the weekend, we had an opportunity to play a, a stronger team from an experience point of view and they didn't perform. So um, first week back for a lot of them, but not, no, no excuse. So, you know, I'm sure if Elliot Yo and Luke Shuey, um, McGovern and Duggan had played for 10 weeks in a row, they, they might have performed a little bit better on the weekend. So we still think they're building. Um, but yeah, to, to think we get everyone back and we're just going to be our best versions, probably, um, you know, not going to happen, but we, we should have been a lot better than what we were on the weekend. Simo, Craig Jennings here, mate. It's been a long time. Okay. Um, now, with the, the the talk around new coaches, what advice would you give anybody that's going into that Collingwood coaching job? Something that you would have liked <laughs> to have known when you first started at West Coast? Um, well, I suppose you, you never think you're ready until you're ready. Uh, you get um, you're lucky enough to get asked to go for the for the position. Um, I jumped at every time someone asked me. Actually, I went for the same job Leopard went for in Brisbane, and I got knocked back. You <laughs> <laughs> dummy, mate. That was my first. Uh, that was my first uh, crack at it when I uh, went for the Brisbane job. And um, yeah, look, you you, you want to present um, your own personal brand and what you stand for. And I, I think the last thing. Well, I thought that the clubs wanted to hear is how their list was or um, what you're going to do with it. I, I was more about this is who I am, this is what I stand for, um, this is my philosophies. And I, I don't know the list as well as the, the footy club does. So I, I sort of went in with a, a bit more vulnerability on not knowing everything. And um, it took me three or four goes before I, I got the West Coast opportunity, which I just didn't realise how big the club was until I got over here. <laughs> um, so that was the challenge. And then taking over from Woosha, I think I did my press conference in the John Worsfold room and there was a John Worsfold <laughs> oil painting with an eagle on his shoulder uh, behind me. So hand, handling all that, um, I, was a, I was a bit naive, I suppose, and I think whoever takes over the, the Collingwood job, obviously there's a, a, a fair, fair shadow that Nathan's cast. So it's just being yourself as much as you can and, and sticking to your own values. So with, within your coaching team, Simo, uh, I know Daniel Pratt, outstanding coach, ripping guy, but I hear great things uh, about Jamie Graham. Is he somebody that should put his hand up? Yeah, well, yeah, if he if he wants to. I mean, um, it's it's a challenge too when you're from WA and you've got a young family and you're entrenched with with your life over over here, um, and taking that giant leap is um, is something that he needs to work through. I think he's ready. Um, you know, he's been coaching for a good eight to ten years. Adrian Hickmont's the same. Um, Daniel Pratt. So we've got some really experienced coaches on our books. It's um, it's just taking that challenge, and if you know, get lucky enough to get asked to go for it, whether they want to or not. So that's up to them. Now, Simon, the soft cap's been a, a really big talking point through most of the year, and I know 
you and a lot of the coaches have been vocal in the changes in that. Just talk us through what impact it has had. And I know there has been over the course of time, a lot of people have spoken about it, but just now it's been sort of eight months in. What are the, the challenges? What are the things you've had to, to, to cater for or miss or, and things you need in a footy club? Yeah, it's, it's really hard to justify um, at the moment with what we're all going through um, what's going on because you, you, you try and, you know, you want to talk about um, the difficult challenges we have, but it's probably, it's just not the same as what a lot of other people are going through. So you don't want to come across as whinging. It's the first thing. So um, the balanced look of it all, though, we, we're, we're trying to deal with you know, a soft cap that's been reduced by three or four million and we've got less staff and now we've got the women's team and our reserve side as well. So we're just spreading the load and the boys love it. The, the love of the game's still there, but the challenge is the guys have got other qualifications yeah. um, quite often sacrifice a bit of income to be a part of our industry. And we've got world-class um, educators and um, sports science and analytics and all those. And eventually they'll, they'll leave just cause it, the money's just not there to support their family. So that, that's the risk that we don't have. We're not world-class, you know, we, we'll, we'll get by and we'll burn out a bit quicker and you won't get the same product in the long run. But I really don't want to come across as poor, poor us. It's just, that's what's happening. And um, I'm sure we're doing it easier than some other people uh, around, around Australia, but that's just, that's just us at the moment. So what's the solution in your eyes? It almost is that, you know, the AFL, it's not like the soft cap's ever going to leave. It's like there's no negotiation for that to happen, even though maybe it should. Um, so what's the solution? Is it the senior coach's wage outside? What is the thing you think um, could be the solution while working still within a soft cap means? Well, I think the first thing, if the AFL recognises it and understands it, that we can adjust some things. So, you know, I'm sure a club like West Coast could afford different parts of um, the industry that other clubs couldn't. So we don't want to come across as elitist or anything like that. It needs to be even for everyone. But the, the balance of what we do with the soft cap, what sits inside it and what sits outside it might be adjusted. Leper and, and, you know, it wouldn't take a lot um, just to balance it up a little bit because what in the end, we'll look at the draft and we'll go, geez, let's not take this kid on. He's too, he's too high risk. He's too high maintenance. He's got a lot yeah. of talent. And we, we change people's lives sometimes when they come into a, a footy club and they walk out with a, um, a life-changing um, experience and they own their own property or they own their car or they've settled down with their family. And we just we, those, those opportunities to grow young talent is a little bit limited because the, the resourcing for staffing those high-risk, um, high-reward players is just not as, it's not as um, attractive because it's, yeah. it's just really hard work. So... Yeah, I've rambled a little bit there, but there, there's some factors no. coming down the track. No, it's we, a great answer. And it's, yeah, it is a terrific answer and hopefully one that gets listened to. And if we can uh, um, adjust and cope with everything, then um, hopefully we can. Hey, good luck tomorrow. Time's on the fly. He will let you go. Thanks for joining us on the show. Good on you, boys. Have a good day. Adam Simpson, coach of the West Coast Eagles, joining us. Big game for them tomorrow. Hey, throughout the season, uh, going to be counting down the most unbelievable moments in footy history for Furphy. Refreshing ale. Unbelievable. We'll count down to the top 10 for the rest of the season. I didn't do this, by the way. Uh, this is Ross Flegel talk. Today, as we discuss modern-day Jezza's impact on the cats and his hamstring, here is the original Jezza. Okay, to the wing position on the member stand side. Oh, Jezzalenko, you beauty! Alex Jezzalenko. Genuine Jezza in the history of football, <laughs> and that is the bloke. Furphy moments, refreshing ale, unbelievable. 
Welcome back to Crunch Time for the Western Werribee Auto Group. To make the smart move at Werribee Haval by test driving the new H6, gearing up. Big day of footy for Dometic Fuel Your Adventure with Dometic's outdoor drink wear. There's a lot to get our teeth stuck in. Already spoken to Tom Stewart and Adam Simpson. Nick Dazan will be back in a moment. Craig Jennings and Justin Lepich alongside Andy Ma. Shout out to Hutto, wherever you might be. Hutto, hope you're having a good Saturday afternoon. I'll cock wherever you might be. Um, just picking up from the Adam Simpson interview, it, we had time, as is always the way, time constraints. There was more to dive into that read the soft cap there. There was a there were a terrific couple of questions and answers on that issue. What did you what did you take away from where Simo was going with that? Well, first thing is he, they don't want to come across as the coaches just want to be paid more. Yeah. Yep. One thing we have to realise is to digress a little bit. The soft cap, the, there's a 33% come out, but you've got to realise 30% of that is hard costs. It's the food you put in the players' mouths. It's the flights you take. It's things that aren't coming down 33%. It's not like you're going to go to Virgin and say, oh, by the way, we're only going to pay you 33% of the flights now. It's not going to happen. So those things are fixed. Mm. So that means the wages come down even more as, as from a percentage point of view. But the big things for me are, are the ones where the, the people, the external people that will leave the game. So you're talking doctors that have their private practice. They must be sitting there now going, why am I doing this? Mm. I'm working weekends, we're getting smashed, I've got all these injuries, I could just have my practice go home, yeah? And, yep. not, and not have to deal with any of this stuff. The analysis department, there's so many people in IT, the brains of this operation and what they do, they'll eventually find a job with Apple or Google or somewhere, whatever they do. They'll use those analytical skills somewhere else in some other aspect. They're the, they're the things we've got to be concerned about because, that, again, that has an effect on the playing group. And the last one was the welfare component. When, when Simo says to me, take note, we may not recruit a player if he's got issues. That, that is a massive red flag for the competition. So how many players out there that have had a difficult life, a difficult 17 yeah. years of their life, they haven't, like a lot of us, had a mum and a dad and a, a, normal, a relatively normal upbringing. They've, they've, they've had it really hard, and we're not going to pick you up. And they've got super talent. Like the Sydney Stack might be a good example. We're not going to pick you up because you're too hard. We don't have the resources around to support you. We don't have mm. someone that can drive you around, look for a home, make sure that you're eating correctly, all those things that required that they hadn't had with their upbringing. So that, that to me is a – we miss out. Mm -hmm. As footy lovers, we miss out on seeing those super talented players. And, and the flow on from that, and a live example could be Sean Burgoyne leaves Port Adelaide and comes to Hawthorne. They said, we can't service this and we can't back our medical staff in anymore because we don't have the resources to provide that sort mm. of attention for individuals. So the flow on from that, Leopard, and you're spot on. So there is talk that there'll be a little bit of money drip-fed back into every club through the soft cap. But you've got all these let, – let's just look at the coaching staff for a moment. And then, you know, let's say it's 30 40%, whatever their pay cut may actually be. They're doing more work than they've ever done. They're as stressed as they've ever been in their life, and it compounds and rolls through their family and all those sort of issues. But if more money comes back into the soft cap, does that money go to the current people that are in those football clubs that are saying, hey, I'm doing more hours than I've ever done. I'm not getting any more money for it. And that raises some questions. Or – do the club say, well, we need to actually top up on those resources? And I'm sorry, assistant coaches, this is the new norm for you guys. You're working harder than you ever have. You're not getting paid what you, want, what you once did. So you've got to find that balance. You want to keep the really good people at your football club while also needing, knowing that you need to top up on those resources and have more hands on deck to support. This is why you need some sort of agreement because the, the thing with the assistant coaches might be, well, what we're going to do, we're going to change the role. You know, it's actually only going to be a 10-month job. 
or a nine and a half month job. So we're going to pay you less, but you know what? You're going to have a bit of extra time at least, mm-hmm. so that you, you, we're, not, we're going to make you do it in some fashion anyway. So in those other few months, you might have to fly, find other in, employment for you. But they have to have some sort of way where they can negotiate this just to make it fair and everyone. Would that be happy. attractive? Well, I think so. Yeah. I mean, you want to do. You don't want to. If you're going to get think something taken away from you, Andy, if 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 the work time comes down, well, that's probably an even balance. But yeah. if you want to add more work and get, go back, the, the pendulum's swinging the wrong way. And, on both accounts so yeah it's an interesting one I'm worried it's not worried for today it's like all hard times we can all put up with it from a very small period of time but it's how long you can put up with it for some of the tr- the brand being trashed do you there's been you know we no. had when Chris got a couple of weeks ago was asked whether he'd like to see Brad Scott come back into coaching he said no I wouldn't it's not an enjoyable job mm. this is a bloke who's getting paid pretty well I reckon Scotty Chris uh, but that even even that doesn't um, dissolve the downside for him. But you think about Chris Scott as well. So he, you, a guy who said that is in one of the most successful that's football right, that's clubs. Right. He's a club that's got no restrictions by the AFL. They're pretty much own themselves, mm. so they don't they don't get the AFL house ringing them telling them what to do. Um, and he wins all the time, and he's mm. saying it. Mm. <laughs> that, that is yeah. that is scary red flags for me. Imagine if you're at the other end, you're coaching a team that's basically run by the AFL. They drip feed you the whole time. They tell you what to do, and you've got to put up with those uh, things as well. How much, one for you, and without trying to put you on the spot, I do apologise if you feel like that. From what you thought you when you got the job at Brisbane, how much you thought you would love the job to what the reality of it was? How much, just on measurement of enjoyment... I really like the job, but it cuts down to different things. The hardest part is you don't know what you're getting. So the Collingwood job, you don't know what you're getting till you get in in every employment. So I went into Brisbane thinking, all right, all I have to do is do what I did in my presentation. Here's the game plan. Here's the numbers that add up to it. This is how it'll work. You go and go, well, you know, we only paid 95% of the cap. And you know we've just lost our three best young kids, and you know so all, and we've got a welfare issue, and we've got so they're the things. <laughs> the poor, like if Sam Mitchell gets the job, he'll realise very quickly it's not about his X's and O's. It's about jeez, mm. there's so much management here. I've got to, you know, I had to fight to get to 100% of the cap in the first year, um, you know, through the lines. Going, no, no, we don't pay that, and, it, and Michael Voss inherited that as well. So the things that you work. That Vossi, Vossi had to put up with that for two or three years as well um, in that part because Brisbane lost a lot of money in that period. So all those things can affect your end result and end product on the well, field. Well, you can have a broad, big, broad conversation. We haven't got time for it today, but you can have a, have a really big, broad conversation if you want about this, I reckon, because it goes to have we got the structure of it all right. If you're talking about you when you took the job or Sam Mitchell, if he gets the job or whoever it might, and they are there to coach but they're going to get overwhelmed and have the life sucked out of them because of all the management stuff. Is there not a conversation to be had about employing somebody to be the administrative head of coaching and then the guy who actually does the X's and O's and runs the program and gets the footy boots on on training nights and gets out there and he he is separated and, and siloed away from all of that. I wonder whether... We've quite got it right, and whether somebody will break the mould one mm. of these days. Well, well, what I'm hearing is, and from Leper as well, and a little bit of Chris Scott, all these coaches go into coaching, like you did as well, because you love football and you want to change something on the field. Mm. But it sounds like the majority of your work, and I don't know how much it is, over 50%, is on everything but That's right. winning a game of football. So, so the, how do we, the, how do we the change balance, that? Right, the balance is wrong. That's it right. doesn't make sense that you're... Well, you do understand. We all do. You know, have got a lot of people to answer to, and there's a lot of money involved from different avenues. So I get that part. But you're almost employing someone 
in a football role that isn't their prime responsibility, isn't the football because they don't have the dedicated time to it. Well, definitely not picking up the balls and rolling them out in front of your players. No, that's, that's the best bit. I mean, that's you, the fun yeah, bit. I mean, yeah. Damien Harbuck, you see him, he loves putting on the jump bag after training and Jack Rewald jumps on his head and you've seen him, vision of him falling out. That's his little time. That's his mm. time to kind of feel like he can connect on the field with his players because other than that, he's pushing, let me do that drill or, you know, yeah. Andrew McLeod, you do that drill. <laughs> Adam Kingsley, you do that drill. And he's sort of watching in the middle. So he'd love to get his hands dirty, but there's a lot of other big picture stuff you have to do. Andy, I think your point's a really good one and it speaks to um, the coach has all the responsibility in the sense, but high performance is not just about the coach, it's about everybody in the footy club, but the, the coach carries the responsibility for basically everybody's performance and it's pretty unjust in a sense in a footy club, but I can only speak from a, a coaching perspective and it really challenges you, uh, your thinking towards coaching because you don't go into coaching now for the money. You have to have a higher purpose towards it. And so we all have different reasons for coaching. Pretty much everybody will say we love helping and mentoring mm. people. Um, but for me, it's a redemption theme. I want to be the best coach I can be. I, I want to challenge things and I want to do things differently in my way. But you certainly wouldn't do it for money because of all the stresses you're talking about, Lepper. Can I put this to you both as coaches so as a player I loved playing because I loved kicking the football I physically enjoyed kicking a football and training and then going out on weekends and trying to win from a coach's perspective what was the one thing that you loved the most like I loved kicking a ball what did you love as coach I'd love just to being out there with the players um, the captain's run where you know the, the time where it's hands-on that and also the other time potentially off the field where it's you're having those one-on-one conversations with them and you're trying to get what's out of them, the best out of them, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and, and emotionally trying to connect with them to get the emotional performance as well. So the on-field then, the, that, but that might only be 25% of the job. That's mm. the, the, the big part of the job is That's a scary. lot of monotonous stuff like coding, like long meetings. You know, it's, it's, it really is. There's a, there's, and that's probably You're not the selling sev- it very well. That's, that's probably the 70% of it. But you think about when I'm coaching Peninsula Grammar State, it is 100% on the field, you know, yep. 90%. Yep. I do some vision stuff with it. But it's, so it's 90% fun, if I, I could say, because gameplay, it's, it's change. It's all that, and it's, and it's you know, Man-to-man combat sort of stuff. So that 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 sort of role's fun. But if you're thinking about that, it's not like your local footy club when you go mm. to the AFL. I think coaching, I love the intellectual challenge of it and the match yep. day coaching and the strategies behind that. And you spoke about meetings. So every player retires and says, I won't miss the meetings. But I love designing the meetings. So instead of having it in an hour, how can you get the message across in 10 or 15 minutes? And um, when you connect with players and, and even – uh, working with coaches on their meetings and their strategies. It's just so, there's no other buzz you can get like that in life. And especially uh, if you can work a team from the bottom of the ladder to contending or get back up into the eight, it's just such a great thrill. So really it's almost like that adrenaline rush is what attracts you mm. to coaching and the intellectual challenge because what you're talking about, Lepper, the job is so hard. Yeah, and, and the fun part of the job, though, also is trying to find the million ways to sell the one message a lot of the time. And you do end up doing some weird and wonderful things. You can picture this, Jen. I used to have a ball <laughs> not, and a not string. Food, not food analogies. Oh, no, not food. I had a ball and a string. So, like, if we're doing a slow play, it'd be like a, like a fishing rod with a ball at the end. And they'd be the boys would be watching it and they're just sort of moving up the field with it. And then some idiot would try and whack it out of the. Well, it's great, <laughs> great memories, isn't it? It's oh, great it's, fun. They're, they're the sorts part. of things you try and do just to, you know, 
to, I guess, appease all the different learning styles. I have heard Goody say it's like steering a ship in rocky water. So he'd get to the footy club at about 4.30 in the morning and he, you don't know what you're going to face. So he would have his day planned out. But anything by 6 a.m., anything could pop up and you're just trying to steer the ship in the direction or the vision that you want it okay. to go. Yep. All of that for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. I know we've done a bit already on Geelong and Essendon. Can I just play a bit of audio that, that I found fascinating last night for a couple of reasons. It was just before quarter time. Jeremy Cameron had the shot for goal from the boundary. The umpire was lining him up and getting all the alignment right. A couple of elements in all of this that I'd love to get your thoughts on. This is how it all played out. You've got to start on your line. Is the siren gone yet? No. You've got to start on your line. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Jeremy. You've got to start on your line. No, why? You've got to start there. And, I, and then you can play on. No, he doesn't. Play on. Doesn't really take a step, but backs himself in, and the Cats get there first. which meant that you had to start in your correct oh, line. Okay, okay. If the siren had went, I you could have gone. In case it went, I can still do that. No. Nah. So if it goes... I'm hoping it didn't go. Yeah, because it I think it's not far away. Yeah, if yeah it, that's if, what I mean. So I don't want to play on and then the siren goes. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying, why can't I do that beforehand? Because we don't know that the siren's going to go. Yeah. So you're a bit... Yeah, and late in the quarter. So everybody, everybody was thinking if there's anyone critical about that last night or observational about it, everyone thought, oh, yeah, you don't understand the alignment rules. It wasn't about that for me. It was about why is the umpire referencing the siren? Mm. Why is the umpire even ref- – why is he telling Jeremy Cameron how long – he shouldn't be telling Jeremy Cameron how long there is to go. He, he's clearly getting some information from somewhere. He didn't know whether the siren had sounded or not. Did, did any of that strike you as being slightly odd? Well, I found it very unusual. Now, Brian Taylor calling for Channel 7 last night has been criticised on um, on social media, as everybody is on social media, to be honest with you, about not knowing the rules. I was as confused as anybody last night. I thought there was moments where the clock had stopped because the umpire kept referencing. It was 15, has the siren gone? So oh, it hasn't fif- gone. There was 15 seconds left on the clock mm. when that conversation initially took place. Yes. Cameron kicks the goal, and then when you hear Cameron and the umpire conversing after the goal's been kicked, there's still five seconds yeah. left on the clock. So he is right, by the literal law, and correctly, that the siren hadn't gone, so therefore Jeremy Cameron has to start on his line and can play on from that position. If the siren had gone, he's allowed to go to the boundary yep. and therefore kick it from in line. So he actually goes off his line yep. to then kick in correct. line. So that is correct. But then for the umpire to say, has the siren gone? Oh, no, it hasn't gone. I was almost helping you so you didn't play on while the kick was going. And then to say, I think that the siren's about to go shortly. Oh, I don't know when the siren's going. So clearly there was some communication coming through the umpire's earpiece. But my take on that, Andy, is he was said, and I think this is happening more than what we think, where umpires are helping players do something or not do something. Stay on your line if you play on it to behind because you kick. No, no, no. Your job is to adjudicate. Let the player do whatever they want. If they stuff it up, that's their fault. You don't need to help them. That's not Mm. your job to coach them through. It's not under 12s. Let them play the game. You call it rightly or wrongly off the back of that. Do they talk too much, the umpires? Oh, maybe. In the last 20 years, it's probably... I don't know when I played, the only time... They wouldn't speak through a game unless they were calling a free kick Mm. or or telling you to get a kick yourself if you yelled at them, Um, which used to happen a little bit back in the old (laughs) days. But apart from that, that there was no instruction. There was no, Mm. you go here and... Look, it's, I think they, I think I'm with you, Dale. They just need to just call the game, and if someone plays on or does it wrong, just 
Learn well, the whistle. Learn, learn yeah, exactly. Learn the hard yeah. way. Get like, the players to learn the rules. You don't need to coach them. Let the players learn the rules. The ball goes out of bounds on the full, and the umpire will line up and say, if you come around, that's play on. You don't need to tell them that. No. That's the player's responsibility right. to know every they rule. play on, it's out of yeah. bounds, throw it in. I mean, I just found that really strife. If it was, I reckon there'll be a, a meeting of the coaching staff and the administrators and the umpires and say, listen, let's just make sure that we're clear on this. You know, if something's coming inside your ear, like, please don't let it come out. Yeah, exactly. If we're going to tell you something that's yeah. a little bit hush-hush, please don't present it. Exa- exactly. <laughs> Um, we haven't done anything on Essendon. We spent a lot of time talking about Geelong. Does everybody here agree that Essendon has got a lot of things going right at the moment? Looking forward beyond this season, they might are they in the need of a of a proper, established, ready to go forward, tall forward? Is that what they? Is that one of the things they need beyond the here and now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Carl Hooker's been a, a good servant of the footy club and he does a good job. Yep. He, he, he harps contests, he brings the ball to ground, he does stoppages for him, a lot of grunt work. But is there, a, is there something else out there that they need? Probably is. That's probably the one position that would be that would, would need, I think. You know Essendon really well, Lepo. And when I was watching last night, they've got great ball movement. I think that's why, even though they're not winning every week, we really enjoy watching them play. And you can see what they will grow into that... Uh, eventually defensively they'll get really strong as the players get cohesion together but they love when they're playing against intercept defensive teams and Melbourne elite intercept defensive teams you think of Lever and May you think of Stewart on the weekend and they're just kicking high long balls in now I know last night they try to adjust a little bit and shoot some lower footies inside 50 but if they're going to stick with that ball movement plan which works for three quarters of the ground but if they're going to drive long balls to the top of the goal square, then you know another big body down there would be pretty critical. Off the top of my head, I think they had 35 inside 50s. Of their last 35 inside 50s, they had one mark. They dominated so inside 50s on the I think they were yeah. plus 17 plus off the top of my head as well yeah. for the yeah. inside 50s. So looking forward, yes, absolutely, they need a Ford. But as I quickly scan the market, I don't think there's any genuine big man out there right All now. Right. So what I would say to that, yep. Andy, is that they are desperate for a, a key Ford but I don't think it's next year. So don't go out and just pay overs. We're seeing clubs pay ridiculous cash for what they think they are desperate for at that moment. So if it's not there and it's not the right person right now, then you might go through another 12 months being next year of not having your perfect forward line. But I can't see them winning the flag next year. Save that money would be my Mm -hmm. recommendation and then go hard. When that right person is there, not just a person or a player, the right one that can actually make a substantial difference when they are genuinely in that window. So intuitively, Josh Marnie, the footy manager at Essendon now, was the footy manager at Melbourne for a long time. What if I said a name like Ben Brown, Wiedemann, that might not cost a whole lot of money mm. and they go there for an opportunity? Does that feel that, that's intuitively? The, as long as you pay the right par- mm. price, as in what you're paying them per year. You don't want to. So I would look at those two and you don't have to pay them. They're not around the, the million-dollar number. They're nowhere near that if you pay them the right value. But that will complement what I'm saying is the big fish at some stage. At some stage, they're going to have to pay out on somebody yep. when they're in the window. So if it's not next year, don't be paying overs. So this Save th- your cash. I had a quick look this morning over a cup over me muesli when I was coming on. I had a look at all the blokes. Muesli. Are, had a, oh, I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. But yeah, uh, the blokes are out of contract at the end of the year, right? So there's who, who play the role. There's a handful of young blokes and there's a handful of established fellas. So I'm just going to go through the names. You go first, Lepper, then you, Dell, then you, Craig. Yes or no? Would he be worth thinking about, even if it's just for a year? So the old blokes, you know, maybe stopgap. The young blokes, you've already mentioned Sam Wiedemann, who's on the list, the list, you know, so we'll get to him as well. But So yes or no, is he worth thinking about for a year if it's one of the veterans or 
you know, a, a longer term prospect. Levi Casbolt. Yes or no? No. 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 Mason Cox. No. 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 Josh Jenkins. No. 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 Sam Day. Yes. No. Is it a definite maybe? It's a yes or no, It's a yes or no. It's a yes or no. That's a definite sitting on the feet. I want to be in list management to get more information. Jake Riccardi. No. Ooh. Yes. Yes. Jacob Kaczynski. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. No. No. Tim O'Brien? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sam Wiedemann? Yes. Yes. He's a definite. Right. Okay. So there's a couple there. Now, they're the... When I say the easy ones, they're the gettable ones because you're not trying to prize the bloke out. You're not trying to sort of – who knows where Melbourne's going to be at with Ben Brown, but these guys are out of contract. So you can, yeah. you know, you can have a go. To Geno's point, that they do give away the most amount of marks against them in their defensive 50. So what is the role of that guy? Because if you want to – I said no to Mason Cox, but he probably hasn't proven just to bring the ball to ground, has he? So if, if the role of that guy – if they're just going to bomb it in and his role is to bring it to ground, well, maybe some of those guys aren't. Well, what's Peter Wright doing? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, that's, the guy, well, the guy, imagine being told that. Imagine being a Ford. You're two metres tall and you said, hey, we don't even care if you mark it. Mm, mm. Just bring it to ground and we'll pay you each. Like, come on. Mm. The problem with we Peter, can do that, can't we? Like, everyone knows he's two metres because he's his name from his name. Off the back of those, those names you mentioned, Andy, and we said yes to quite a few of them. And I'm thinking Ford for Essendon supporters, they're building for something special. They've got the young yep. group. You yep. need to compliment. But you think about them on grand final day. Those forwards aren't winning you a grand final on grand final day. So that's one piece of a possible two or three tall forward yeah. line. There has to be someone bigger cool. and yep. better than that. Yep. And I, I think you're on the money there that uh, Essendon aren't changing their game style to beat an opposition. They're just putting their game style, their best game style, against the opposition's best. So they're not trying to take anything off their opponents. So the game style you see now, of course, it'll adjust and evolve slightly. But what you see now, you'll see next year. So really... What you're saying, Dell, is they'll need to find the one or two players across the ground that suit their game style. Richmond was the big talking point, obviously, out of Thursday night. Um, they could have been they could have been absolutely blown away. They could have been torched by Gold Coast. The, all the numbers tell you Gold Coast played them off the park the other night, but they just couldn't put it on the scoreboard. So, so there's that. Trent Cotchin was the subject of a lot of online conversation, social media conversation. He's been talked about a bit since. If if Richmond season paddles from here, they don't come again and they don't, you know, have the in-season resurrection and win the flag, who knows whether that changes his mind or not. Where's he at? Where's Trent Cotchin at right now? Oh, I might go get a coffee. <laughs> yeah, you, might, <laughs> no, you might want no, to chime in right. on this late. But no, I, no, no, no. No, he isn't playing as well. Like, he isn't playing as well as he, he was. He's, he does look like he's lost some energy. Um you know, the week before, I think he tried to manufacture some of his genuine style and his smiling and, and leadership last week. The week before, he got really angry and agitated. So there is two parts of the game. It's what your body can physically do, and it's how your mind mentally wants to get up to play every week and your motivation. And we know that as you get older, the more games you play, we've all played it apart from Andy. Um, you, you actually you lose motivation. <laughs> That's fine. You do. That's, fine. That's a fact. <laughs> You do, and, and, and he does. Look, he does. He does. There is signs of that. I don't know what you guys see, but there is signs. Is it just a blip, or is it just a long-term thing? Well, the tough one for Trent Cochin, and you look at his evolution from the number one midfielder, and probably where he sat in their pecking order of a midfield group, and the role that he plays within that. And to his credit, it's been the combative, the stuff that no one else really likes to do. Yeah. And what he has done for them as a midfield group has allowed 
the more flair and the more probably brilliant ball winners and ball users to really flourish over the last few years. It takes a toll. It takes a toll. But what I'd like to say about Trent Cotchen, in isolation, but also as a collective, and what I saw in particular on Thursday night and being at the game, their desire and their endeavour against a young team that came to the game thinking, if we don't give 100% effort, if not more, if we don't be daring with our ball use, we are not in this game. Let alone winning. or We are not in this game. And what it looked to me with their body language, some of their reactions to certain situations was, we don't have to give 100% tonight. We're just going to get the job done. Right. And it's a dangerous place to be. And I know it was one of their weaker teams in regards to the ins and the outs. Still had 16 premiership players in it. They did. Yeah. Their system. So I was concerned more about the, the Richmond system was gone. And I just think Trent Cotchen looks like that as a collective of what the group looked like on Thursday night. Um, just listening to you then, I started thinking about, it might feel like for someone like Trent Cotchen, who's been an amazing captain and really a big part of the turnaround of the football club, um, does it feel like they've played two seasons in a row? Like they play a grand final right at the yeah. end of October. You yeah. have a few weeks off and then you feel like you've got to get ready for the next football season. And last season felt like even though you had the break during COVID, it just felt like it went forever. So, you know, sometimes you just need some time away from the game and Damien Hardwick will have a new vision going into next year and um, you refresh again and away you go. One for you, Lepper. You won three flags. Now, I didn't win a flag, but I had that moment where you felt like it was getting, not too hard, but you felt like you were giving your maximum effort and just getting a completely different result after going back to the well time and time again. Did you get that sense personally that, you know, we've we filled our boots, like everything's been pretty good, our career is done, our legacy is who we are. It's just not too hard, but it's just not working for us anymore. Did you experience yeah, that individually? Pretty much. I mean, yeah. I, I, my re- uh, retirement was pretty sudden. I had an injury bang pretty much gone. But yeah, I, I know. I, I had that feeling. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I've achieved probably what I wanted to do in footy. and So they, they might be there. We, we'll, mm. Time will tell. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealership. Stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X. Built tough and for Red Rooster, delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. Plenty more to talk about. We've got the Collingwood coaching job, the 400 club. Heaps more to come on Crunch Time. Crunch Time for the Werribee Western Footscray Nissan dealership. Stock the all-new Nissan Navara, a Pro 4X built tough. Just before you get too far away from Thursday night, you're in the box doing the game for seven on Thursday night. Have you seen anybody play Dustin Martin as well in as many one-on-one competitions? This is a question without, off the top of it, without giving you much chance to research it, but better than Sean Lemons did the other night? Oh, we've got to give him some credit, don't we, Sean Lemons? Because there was a game here against Collingwood uh, that he did the same thing to Dugowie, and I think a lot of us walked away thinking, gee, that wasn't very good by Dugowie. Mm. And, and then, but hang on a minute. If you've done it to Dugowie, and now you've done the same thing to Dustin Martin and won three or four really important one-on-one contests in a game, you've got to tip your hat. To that kid, like it's a, he doesn't look like much as a player. You look at him and think he looks normal height, normal size, mm. but he's obviously really strong and really clever in that contest, and he's been a really important player for him. I think it tells you something about his mindset. So I don't know anything about him, but I know about Michael Hibbard that yep. um, was the original to beat Dusty Martin, and um, Hibbo doesn't fear anybody, and and his mindset is just I do not want to get beaten today. So Lemons, he must have something like that going on upstairs. Mm. And the other one's Young Powell as well across that half-back line. Now, both of them yeah. could probably spend a little bit more time in the gym and eat some steaks in well, between as well. Them. Charlie Ballard could, but he's a super player. They, they are, but they're, they're, I think they're 24 and 26 years of age, mm. so it's not like they're new to the system. But what I loved about Lemon's game was it wasn't about negating and spoiling Dusty. He was trying to win it. 
Mm. He was actually taking the mark and taking the game on off the back of it. And he was obviously designated to go to him because the handovers, there was a couple of times someone else would be caught on Dusty and just the, the natural flow of play. And then you can see Lemons identifying. So once again, we're speaking about experienced players identifying something on the ground. He'd put his hand up and he'd say, no, nah, he's mine. You know, and the next opportunity, they'd swap back over. So they got their perfect matchup. He was great. And it wasn't like Dusty was... Dusty didn't have a shocker. He wasn't getting thrown mm. out of the way. He just got out-muscled mm. a couple of couple times. Of times or out-bot- yeah. Not yeah. out-muscled, out-bodied a couple of times. Nick, um, I think you did the North Melbourne game the week before with yep. Gold Coast. Yep. Yeah, so you'll understand this. I thought it was a classic game, Lepper, of where your review meets your preview. So the week before the Gold Coast against North Melbourne, inside 50 kicks, absolutely horrendous. Mm. And their tackles were horrendous. So they either got tackled and got caught holding the ball, couldn't break it, or they were giving away free kicks or having their own tackles broken. And what I saw, so they would have reviewed that strongly. Um, They would have gone to work improve their training standards in that area. And then the preview for Richmond game, you know they're going to be some big bodies around there. I thought Gold Coast were outstanding. One in their tackles. One, even Dusty Martin was getting ta- tackled and his fend-off was getting broken. But Gold Coast, they're inside 50 kicks to take away some of the Richmond intercept defenders. Low hitting marks inside 50. I just thought their review into the preview of that game must have been outstanding. Yeah, it was evident. The uh, And I got crit- criticised a few times for saying, lower your eyes, Gold, to- Gold Coast. I think I said it about 10 times in the call because it was on the whole game mm. for them to do it. And a few times they, they did miss that option to, to do that and Richmond burn them back the other way. Gold Coast, all one-on-one defence, very one-on-one defensive team. So Richmond, if you can pitch and put all their, bring all their forwards up and so you've got half a ground, that's pretty much empty. So when you're watching the vision, you think, Richmond, if you can get over the back here, you're just going to run into open goal. But they put that much mm. pressure on their wingers came all the way down on the Richmond wingers that like to slide back and really pressured them up. So Richmond had no time and space in the back half of their ground. And they did it really well. It's the best I've seen the Gold Coast defend um, the ball. And, and, and you talk about their tackle numbers, that they've always been pretty good. But back the other way, then Richmond gave up so many uncontested marks defensively. They didn't look like they wanted to close down that space or you know take away that easy short kick option. It was a, it's a real get-to-work sort of thing for Damien Harwick this week. Lepra, you'll know better than anyone their defensive system, so it looks a little bit different to me. And uh, the real Hutto Mars, <laughs> one of his <laughs> mates, I heard this story the other, I, heard, I heard this story last night that he believes that the new Manning the Mark rule, the standing rule, has um, really negated or, or gone against Richmond. It's something I agree with. So there's a term out of Richmond um, I think it's called catch and release, where the defender doesn't come up and man the mark. And so effectively, when his opponent takes a mark, the defender can sit off. So is that something that um, you've seen with Richmond? What, what are they changing defensively this year? One thing with the man on the mark with Richmond, they were the one team, and what was coaching it last year, that used to come inside the corridor five metres or so. So if you mark the ball on the wing, they'd sort of go almost in line of goal. So you had to kick over hands all the time. So that has been taken away from their arsenal. So what it's done... It's put more pressure on that guy that's 20 metres from the ball to defend. He has to defend a little tighter, a little bit more aggressive. So that who would that be? That would be your mids mainly, possibly a halfback, possibly a half forward. So you're talking a Trent Cotchin, a Dusty, Shane Edwards, maybe even a, a half forward like a Stagner, you know, sort of around that area being busy, you know, on their toes, um, looking for any threats and intercepts. But that that's not on. You don't see them on their toes defensively. Their system looks like they're in the spots. Like if you just draw X's and O's, yep, they're in the right spot. That's that's step one. Step two is now looking alert, looking to turn the ball over, looking to, as someone runs through, you know, get a bit of a bumper bar on them and push them out the way, say, no, nah, you're not taking this mark. So that's the bit, the energy in the defence to me is is the bit that looks like it's failing a little. 
Dell. I was watching Took Miller, and I know everybody's mm. on that bandwagon. Whatever the oh, world wow, record yeah. is for the most possessions in the first two minutes yeah. of a game, <laughs> yes. I, I think he broke it. He was phenomenal. He was what running a- hot for Ream. Absolutely, he was. Um, I mean, we're all raving, raving about him now. I mean, this has been going on for quite a while. So you look at the Took Miller story. Started off as a tagger, a negator, then started winning his own football on his own merits and now is a target for the opposition. It's actually a fantastic story. And there's been a handful of them in the last 20-odd years that have been able to transition into a genuine ball winner. And I, th- I said this yesterday or the day before. So Jonathan Brown spoke about Zach Williams being the laziest footballer in the competition. Well, if that is true, and I, I don't know if it necessarily is, but let's just assume that he's just for the <laughs> argument's sake. Took Miller's at the other end of the spectrum. Yep. Tuke yeah, Miller's yeah. cruising pace. So when he distributes the football and it's just in general play, I saw time and time again him out working. Now, whether the Tigers would hand him over, therefore they can stay in their position, Took Miller's ability to get from point A, where the first contest is, to point B, is as good as anybody in the competition. I spoke to Michael Barlow a couple of weeks ago who spent some time at the Gold Coast Suns and was speaking about leadership and the lack of um, great standards of people at that football club that can actually educate the young group coming through Monday to Friday to get your core work done to perform on the weekend. He said, Swallow, and he said, Took Miller. And he might have mentioned one other, and I apologise for I can't recall who it was. But he said, Took Miller. Yeah. I was like, I can see why. Mm. Like, he is uncompromising. He does exactly what he has to do, and he does more for his teammates. And I think we're starting to see, clearly on a Thursday night, the, the footy world's watching, big lights are on. He, he went head-to-head with Dusty when he was in the midfield, and he won his own football. He was exceptional. Depending on going. No, no, he's important for him. And he was the captain of Vic Country as well. Oh, yeah. Metro, sorry, when he was – so he's obviously got that leadership uh, skill too. He was the one when he went up there saying, no, we're going to make this club great. He's always been the one for me that stood out the front and showed their grit and their determination and that part of them. The Gold Coast probably haven't had many people over time that you could say have been like that in personality, apart from their chairman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love him. That's um, great. But tagging such a good way to learn about the game in the midfield, Dell. So, you know, I'd forgotten about that story. And, and when you listen to Stuart during the press conference on the weekend, he said it's a reminder to keep our training standards high. So, you know, those type of stories, Leper, they're really important for other players to, to follow through. So depending on what happens, last word on Richmond for the time being, depending on what happens here with the Giants and Fremantle tonight against Carlton. Richmond could be out of the eight tonight. Um, they've got Collingwood, Brisbane, Geelong, Fremantle, North, GWS and Hawthorne to come. Do they play finals this year? Well, That's the, not an easy run. That is actually not an easy draw. There's Brisbane, tough game. Geelong, tough game. Fremantle, tough game. Uh, Giants, tough game. Fremantle and Giants away. They're the tough ones. The others, you'd think they should win. But are they, making, are they making the eight? The irony in that is two weeks ago we were saying they had a good run home. So well, when you're yeah. out of form, every game starts feeling hard, doesn't it, Lepper? I, I just think it's what the teams below them do. Yeah. I think last, yep. week, last week they gave Essendon and the Giants an opportunity to mm. leapfrog them. They didn't take it. Mm. Now they've given them uh, Essendon, Giants and Frio an opportunity this week to leapfrog them. Will, will they take it? I mean, S- Richmond are sitting there saying, okay, guys, we're, we're here's, here's yeah. your chance. Yeah. And none yeah. of them are taking it below yeah. them. So I it's up to them. Completely agree. So you look at that bracket of the ladder, it's Richmond competing with the three teams below them as it currently stands. So if you're going to ask me who have I got the most faith in from here for the remainder of the season, with all the injuries, with their last two weeks of being really poor, I'm probably still backing in the tides yeah, of to finish eighth. Reputation counts for plenty. Uh, they lose another one, though. Basher Hawley probably out for the rest of the season. They're going to hang on to a bit of hope that he might come back from the syndesmosis. We used to hear it referred to as a high ankle strain. Now we know more about it. Is, is this a construct, and the fact that we're hearing, they've got three blokes out now with Sinus. I think they've had a couple out earlier who have come back. 
it's it, it's not just Richmond, but Richmond do invite the tackle. They, they love hanging on to the footy and brought, invite the tackle. And then this, if you go back and have a look at the injuries sustained, the syndesmosis injuries sustained, they are unerringly similar. About 75% of them are, um, are sustained in the tackle. Well, where, where's it? This is like the new version of OP. It used oh, to be from, called from the, the high early 2000s. There, there weren't many of them. But I wonder whether the way players are being trained to hang on to the footy, get draw the tackle and then lay it off, I wonder whether we're gonna, this is the reason or potentially the reason for why we're seeing more of these types of injuries. Yeah, a lot of it comes with the twisting in the tackle a lot mm. of the times. And it is, it's maybe just a bit of luck too. I, I know, I think it was three years ago, Dan Butler and Kane Lambert did it in the same week as well. But then, again, they've got three defenders as in, in the space of one week that have gone down with a you know seven-week potentially plus injury. That's... I don't know. It, it does happen in, in what you're saying, Andy. It does happen in the tackle. Um, whether it's they, do they hold on to the ball too long, I'm not sure if it's that. I just think it's more just a bit of bad luck um, in the tackle and you, and you get caught up. Did Basher play on? Yeah, he did. Wasn't it in that incident on the far yes. side yep. of the ground in that marking contest where he landed awkwardly? Yep. So and that's the other played one. played out that, the game. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I saw, um, so, so at football clubs, they spend a lot of time with wrestling coaches, jiu-jitsu yep. coaches, rugby coaches. So really it's over to them. And I spent a year with uh, or watching Johnny Donahue firsthand. I know he's been at Carlton. Mm. He was amazing at teaching players how to break tackles, um, how to tackle and break tackles. So it's probably over to his area and his relationships with the medical people because if they are aligned then it's something that clubs will need to dig deeper into. Yeah, and I learned from John. He, he was at Brisbane my first three or four Incredible. years in coaching as Incredible. well, and, and I learned a lot of the, the stuff and the, the grappling from him. But when we do take we do coach coaching um, on game day or a training, you have to be really careful with the knees and the ankles because a lot of time when you're teaching some of those moves, if, if you can, a knee and a, or an ankle can get caught up when you start to twist someone to the ground. Now, you don't do it to sling them to the ground or hit their head, but yes, you do want to turn your opponent a little bit in the tackle, and in that... Things like this can happen. What's really interesting about that point, I should, one of the advantages of working at Amy Stadium is you're right next to Rugby Union, Melbourne Storm, Melbourne Victory. You've got tennis and mm. NBL across the road. So you can access so much coaching information. And Craig Bellamy's philosophy has always been if we're not getting injuries on the training track, then we're not training hard enough. But I know from Lee Matthews, Leper, and, and most people in AFL world, you're trying to avoid injuries on the training track. So the two sports have completely different cultures when it comes to tackling. I've just had a text message from the great Robbie Nahas, who's just reminded me how much I love John Donahue's training sessions. <laughs> I did yeah, everything, I, I, did everything I could do to get out of those oh, sessions. He was a bad man, John I love, Donahue. I love you like a, like a distant cousin, but I can't imagine grappling and um, wrestling uh, t technique training would, would it surprise been your... you if I played dead for 45 would've, minutes? That's it. Would have been up your end. I played dead. That's sort of stuff. Ask Robbie what he liked in training. Did he? <laughs> he didn't like weights. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Dahas would have a like? coffee and walk through the gym for an hour, and I don't think he ever lifted a weight. The great man. Who needs a rever for Harley Heaven? The Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong, and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. What have I put to you three esteemed luminaries of the game that it was the Giants who need to rev up today? Mm. Disappointing last week against the Hawks. Uh, just half a game out of the eight after the Tigers' loss on Thursday night. They run up against the best side in the competition so far for 2021 today. They bring Tom Green back after a moderate game against Carlton two weeks ago. They throw the kid out. Midfield, they're decimated last week. They bring him back straight away. 
What if I said to you that they're the ones that need a river? At their best, they could win this game today. Oh, they're the ones I'm disappointed with, to be honest. Mm. Well, I've gone through start of the year disappointed, then really wrapped for them. In the last two weeks, you're playing teams 17 and 18 on the ladder and you walk away with two points. Mm. Like They should be in the eight. They should already have Richmond kicked out of the eight and be in there mm. um, from, from the last couple of weeks, in my opinion, if they just do what they should do every week and become that consistent footy team. So... They want to play. I know they've had lots of, you know, they probably have the most changes of any team every year, don't they? Like they always have a, seem to have a star missing every or going every year, mm. and or a kid going. Like they, they're the most, you know, I guess interchangeable team every year. So it's difficult from that perspective. But they've got to show some consistency. The, on the most mind-boggling um, omission this week, or possibly for the year, is Matt DeBoer. Now I know it wasn't great last week when they played the Hawks. He had Tom Mitchell who had a heap oh, of the football. But if, if I'm not mistaken, I think the terminology used from the football club is we couldn't find a matchup for him this week. Beg your pardon? Excuse me. I beg, beg my pardon. Against Melbourne. I'm pretty sure you could find <laughs> someone, if not 18 of the opposition players that you would love, Matt DeBoer, the best tagger in the competition. He had a bad game. I'll, I'll find I, I, one I, for it. I'll find one. There's about Clayton Oliver. Just go and run around with him. What about the, uh, the trunks? Yeah, they're okay. <laughs> oh, gee whiz. <laughs> they can't. Did they and say you, that? You go to this game earlier this year. I think it was round three off the top of my head in Canberra. Matt DeBoer went to Oliver and terrorised him for a half before he got injured. Terrorised him. Barely touched the football. I was staggered when I saw that omission. They might be a football club. But they're not <laughs> sure if they're about this year or about next year. You know, Leppy, yep. sometimes you're trying to get wins now, but you're also thinking about the future. So, you know, maybe that means one or two older players tip out of the team a little bit to give a younger player an opportunity. But they're definitely a team that should be hungry to make finals. And mm. I feel like I'm supporting GWS all year because it's been such an interesting you sort of yeah, that's right. season. Yeah. Harley Heaven rev up for Harley Heaven, the home of... Harley Davidson. Right, a few other little bits and pieces. Just just one, Darcy Parry. I know we've said we're going to move past this game. Darcy Parrish is having an all-Australian season. Everybody, yep. that's not no surprise to anyone, right? Dylan Shield's not in the team. They've got the kid they brought down from Jai Caldwell, Jai Caldwell from the Giants, who will both be back next year ready to play. And that, who knows? They might get a couple of games in on late this year, um, Shield in particular. But how do they manage... How do they manage these two guys who have been brought in, Shield and Cordwell, midfielders? That's what you are. And I know some people say you can't have enough midfielders. Jared Hill is a huge villain. But some blokes just like being in there all the time. And Parrish is thriving. Mm. Merritt's signed on for six years. Can you afford to change whatever's worked for Darcy Parrish this year? Can you afford to change that? given how well he's going? I think it's Parrish's job until his form doesn't stack up. But for me, Parrish is a big occasion player. So a team that's not going to win a premiership this year, so there's no Norm Smith on offer for him, and he's won three medals. And I remember him winning a game for Essendon last year. In the last two minutes, he's on Lukey Parker. He gets three really critical touches. And they're the sort of players that you want in the midfield, that they know how to win games. And, and they don't play well when you're five goals in front. They play well in big games and when it counts. And Parrish is one of those. Anzac medal, Dreamtime medal, and a Tom Wills medal last night. His numbers, I think he had 16 and 18 disposals in his first two weeks of this year. His numbers after that are off the charts. They're, they're like, if you have one of those games a year, you're, you know, you're telling everybody at the pub about it. But it's, it's become his standard. But it's an interesting question that you, you raise there, Andy, well, with Sheila and Caldwell. So I'm, I'm of the Jared Healy approach that... You look at the best midfields in the competition, go back to the Brisbane days, the Hawks, it's the depth. You look at the Western Bulldogs right now, it's about the depth. But Devin, Devin Smith's been pushed out at the other end. Yep. And he come across yep. and there's always fallout you know, from these situations. Wasn't getting enough midfield time at the Giants. I'm going to come to the Bombers and get more midfield time. You ain't getting no midfield time. How much That's not happening. Darcy Parrish, Lepper, Darcy Parrish still hasn't signed. He's out of contract at the end of the year. I would have thought he's the number one target. But I think if you're comparing him to Dylan Shield, I don't think Dylan Shield 
his best is an inside mid anyway. But that's but, where he what that's where yeah, he, but if you look at his numbers, he's an uncontested mid. He's not a contested ball mid. Mm. I think one thing that he's going to have to do is get used to a different role. He's going to potentially look. Kane Lambert plays from a Richmond. He starts at half forward, then comes up to the, up to the midfield, loses his opponent, then uses his run on the outside to to break a line. So I'd be keeping the middle hog, and <laughs> annoying those blokes. You can keep him in the middle. And you summed it up there. What Parrish is great at getting the ball from an inside at ground level to the outside is just so clean and. Um, you can't take away that from the midfield in my mind. I've only given you a minute and a half to do this, so you three are going to duck and weave here. Bartlett, Tuck, Harvey, Fletcher, joined by Burgoyne. Rank them one to five, please. Go, Justin Lippich. I've gone Bartlett, Harvey, Fletcher, Burgoyne, Tuck. Now, I haven't seen two of these guys ever play. So with, <laughs> yeah, right. so with Kevin Bartlett, I'm only going on what he's okay, told me about right. how good he was. So I've got Kevin Bartlett, one, Boomer, Tuck, Burgoyne, Fletcher. I, I had to go with coaching philosophy, so I went Burgoyne for for culture and and win the game <laughs> and win the game strategies, and then I went Tuck because any Hawthorne IPs. Valuable. Kevin Bartlett has just driven off the road listening <laughs> yeah, no, to you. No, I'll, I'll get to him, and then I've got Fletcher because then we'll go oh, do our defenders. Wow, he's had a heart attack. You're now. building a whole team here, and then I'm going Boomer. But the reason, oh my why, God, he's got Bartlett last. The reason why I've got KB last <laughs> is my first memories of football were following Fitzroy in 1980 when Kevin Bartlett was. Winning premierships. But interesting about that year, Fitzroy finished last but beat Richmond in the home and away season who won the premiership. <laughs> There's a great yeah. picture of all of them together. The yep. thing is, they all look the same as when they played, even KB. <laughs> <laughs> KB actually looked like that when he played as well. Yeah, yeah. Have, you got one? Have you got one? No, that was only up to you, but okay. yeah, KB won. The rest are uh, equal second. Hey, don't forget, you can give us a ring on the open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six for the Southern Phone. Switch to Southern Phone. Simplify your life with Southern Phone mobile plans. It's been fun, boys. Uh, Jared, I'm sure, will be back next week, I think. Uh, until then, have a good afternoon. You too. Nick Delzano, Craig Jennings. Uh, Justin Lever, you're going to stick around for the footy. This has been crunch time for the Werribee Western Footscray Nissan dealership. Stop. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. The all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X, built tough.